Our guest today, Francis J. Caputo, has a question for you. Greetings and welcome to Essential Leadership Skills, a discussion with TEDx and TED Talk speakers. Do you want to be a better partner? If so, then it's time to learn how to manage conflict. Francis J. Caputo is a principal partner of Cocelerate as well as a certified master coach, a certified radical honesty coach and trainer and the creator of the Transformative Coaching Certification Program, accredited by the Certified Coaches Alliance. As an educator, trainer, coach, speaker, and writer for over two decades, Jay has worked with thousands of students and clients throughout North and South America, Europe, and Asia, designing and delivering specialized professional development programs and curriculums. His clients encompass a wide range of professionals across all industries, including various Fortune 1000 companies, government agencies, small business, entrepreneurs, and highly skilled professionals from multiple disciplines. Jay has an extensive background in human and group development including two bachelor's degrees and a master's of science degree in conflict analysis and resolution. He is a former certified district court mediator in the Washington, D.C. region and has spent several years training in the Japanese martial art of Aikido. Please join our Director of Operations Glenn Daniels and Francis J. Caputo. This is a Touchstone Publishers presentation, your trusted source of leadership knowledge. Well, good morning, everybody. And I know what you're saying. It may not be morning where I'm at right now. Maybe nighttime, but you know, it doesn't matter. Morning time is morning time. So most of us have our best energy. Good morning, uh, Mr. Caputo. Thank you very much for joining us today. Greatly appreciate you hanging out. Well, thank you for having me. I really enjoy this opportunity. So thank you. Well, great, great. So you know, I'm going to just start, just jump right in here with us for the very first question I'm going to ask you. What is unique? And or powerful for either yourself, your TEDx that you delivered, or your company. That you think people should know about. What's unique, powerful, that you know, say people just maybe not be aware of. What would that be? Well, I think the answer actually can be uh, is related to a few aspects of your question. So, what's unique about me um, really uh, has to do with something I mentioned in my TED my TEDx talk, which has to do with what I learned through my life experience about the value of interpersonal conflict. And I kind of learned some of it, some of the lessons of the hard way, yes. just in my personal life, but also in my professional life. And what I'm attempting to get across in my talk is the idea that for us to create the best relationships in our lives, personally, professionally, socially, in our community, really doesn't matter the context. Uh, what's really essential is that we are capable of, nav of navigating and appreciating the value of interpersonal conflict. And what I've found in my work over the past couple of decades working in all kinds of organizations is that interpersonal conflict is generally the kind of thing that people want to avoid, don't really want to, you know, um, take a look at, let alone navigate well. People generally don't see conflict as a utility to build better relationships. It sort of happens accidentally. We've all had those experiences where, you know, we, we're in a relationship with someone and it's going great. And then we have our first fight and we, for whatever reason, stick with them. We, we sort of get through the fight or the disagreement. And on the other side of it, we feel closer to them. So we, we, we tend to experience that accidentally. Um, and what, what my talk is really about is thinking about, thinking about that, uh, that whole dynamic in more conscious and conscientious ways. Well, that, brings a question to my mind then how do you how are you taking that and you don't have to be very specific but how are you taking the interpersonal skills and the conflict uh into your business because most of us in business do not want the conflict and as we'll discuss a little bit a little bit later in the uh podcast you feel conflict is powerful but in the business world most of us want to avoid conflict with potential clients and potential employees how do you bring that into your business and how is that different than you think other people's businesses are? Yeah, well, first of all, it's an attitude shift, right? It's going from a more of a fixed mindset or, or a closed mindset to one that's more open, growth-oriented, to recognize that to achieve really anything significant, especially big goals, big visions, conflict is embedded in that process. I mean, if you if, for something to be achieved, whatever that whatever that might be, some new vision, some new goal. I'll take a a big a macro example. So Martin Luther King stood on the uh, on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial and declared to the world, "I have a dream this afternoon." And he was he was 
communicating a vision for what is possible in our society and community, right? And we all, you know, we hear that and that resonates. That idea of equality resonates just as a, as a big example. But it's not going to happen just because we want it to happen, just because we, you know, um, admire the idea or we can or the or the vision resonates with us so on a macro level it's true but on a micro level it's true as well a manager may have a certain vision for someone that they're managing a, a, an individual contributor they see some possibility for that person in terms of their productivity or their capacity to do well at the job right and they could they could take one approach which is to use the leverage that they have as the quote-unquote boss which is a word I don't often use, by the way. I, I advise my clients to, to replace that word with other words like partner, right, collaborator, team, team, uh, teammate, etc. But but they they may have a vision for somebody that they're managing and and uh, want that person to get there, and they will either use the leverage that they have as the as the quote unquote boss to to get that person to to, to achieve something or increase their productivity. But a better approach is to work with the person as a true partner and that what's in, what's going going to automatically be a part of that are the the challenges right the the things that the individual contributor they don't already see they don't already get it they don't already recognize some approach or recognize some attitude themselves that they could adopt that would support them in being better so conflict is a part of the deal whether you like it or not whether we always recognize it or not it's just it, it's inherent in any growth process, that there's going to be difficulties, there's going to be obstacles, there's going to be unforeseen circumstances that rise up and challenge and get in the way. And so, it, it again, it's, it's first of all, accepting that idea, accepting the attitude, right? And then from there, learning techniques in order to navigate conflict in, in productive ways, you know, as again, as a utility where it's some, not rather than it's something that we need to avoid and have less of, we welcome the opportunities that conflict uh, avails to us, and then we we use it. Okay, we're going to come back to that because that spawned more questions in my mind about that. So we'll get back to that here in just in okay. a few minutes. But I want to ask you now about your journey from the time you conceived this idea that you're going to give a TED Talk until the time you actually walked up on stage. I started asking these questions so people started wanting to know more about you and that journey you had. So here's, the, here's an idea worth sharing. To the time I got up on stage, what was that like? Well, the the journey of the actual preparation and delivery of the talk itself was a very unique one in that, you know, TED as an organization is very organized, very thorough and detailed. And, you know, what was um, challenging for me personally was that I, most of my work as a trainer, as a coach is not at all scripted. It's very spontaneous. You know, I respond to what happens in the moment in the room with the audience I'm with, uh, you know, I, I do have an idea of what my flow looks like whenever I'm training or delivering any kind of program or, or course. But for the most part, uh, you know, it's I'm I'm riffing, so to speak, you know, I'm just I'm going based on what happens in the moment. And, but with a with the TED talk, it was it was very different. It was it was scripted. And, you know, they wanted us to basically memorize our speech. And so that part, the whole creating of what it is I really wanted to say and also squeezing it into about 10 minutes. That was the other big challenge for me because yes, there's yeah. so much I could say about this. I had to cut up, cut out a lot of stuff. Um, so that was a challenge. And then also making it to your point, making it somewhat personal so that people who are watching it, listening to it, have some sense of who I am, which is why I included the antidote of, you know, my experience with my brother, you know, losing right. my brother right. and what I learned in that process. So obviously it's very personal, Right. But it it informs the central point that um, I was in a type of conflict that I was unaware of at the time, intrapersonal conflict. Right. My own um, lack of clarity about my 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 willingness to express my true feelings and thoughts and, and experiences of my relationship with my brother at the time. And in retrospect, I can look back and say, yeah, I really missed a huge opportunity to create true partnership with my own brother and if i could go back and do it again i would do it differently i would engage with him very differently so in one sense it was an incredibly valuable lesson right the loss hit, hit you know our family yeah. losing him but it was it also helps me to to take a look at my current relationships from that lens right mm -hmm. am i 
being authentic? Am I saying what I'm thinking? Am I, you know, genuine in, in what I'm experiencing in this relationship? And, and, and am I creating a relationship with this person who's in front of me now in, in a way that um, is truly aligned with what I want? Okay, so I'm going to just maybe change the path of this just a little bit. Because what I'm curious about, you had this personal story you were sharing and you, like you said, you had to take everything. First thing, how difficult, you said it was pretty difficult, but how did you get everything down to the standard under 18 minutes and sound like you had to go under 10 minutes? Yeah, well, <clears throat> yeah, our particular, uh, the organization where I did the TEDx, it was, they wanted us to be under 10 and I think I went to like 11 and a half or something. <laughs> yeah, I went yeah. a little bit beyond, but they were okay with that. Well, it just it was just a matter of uh, recognizing the key points that were really critical to the overall theme of the talk. So one key point was that we take relationships for granted, generally speaking, especially people we're closest with. We just we're, we assume they're going to be there, right? And it's not it's you know not until they're just not there one day where we go, oh wait a minute, did I was I really who I wanted to be in that relationship? Right? Was that, it difficult to find those key points and narrow them and? say, okay, I'm not going to talk about this one? Or was it kind of a natural flow to say, here's one, two, three, here's a tough three, I'm going to make sure I get those three? Yeah, yeah, I think it was more of a natural flow. It, it just sort of came to me. Um, and it, it really, it uh, solidified as I practiced. And I, you know, we audition a bunch, of, we don't, we audition, but we also rehearse a bunch of times. And it was through the rehearsal and the feedback that I was able to cut out different parts and sort of hone the message. We're starting to pick up more one people who want to be in TEDx or who want to do TEDx feel like they can learn from your experience. You know, we're still mostly leadership. Leaders are listening to this program, you know, senior corporate leaders. But for those TEDx people who are listening in or want to be TEDx speakers, how many hours would you say you practice to get this talk? Oh, well, that's a tough that's a tough question to actually accurately answer. I as far as the talk itself, I probably rehearse the talk itself, I'd say um, half a dozen times once I got the talk down. And, you know, I, I narrowed it down from originally it was like 15 minutes, got it down to about 11. But as far as the topic itself, what I, I've, re I've, I've rehearsed different aspects of what I said and delivered different parts of what I said in the talk, you know, hundreds of hours mm -hmm. right over the course of my work and, and what I do as a trainer and a coach. So it's really hard to quantify that. But um but as far as the actual talk itself, the rehearsal, you know, I'd say half a dozen times. Okay. Um, and then the last question in this area, were you nervous? Yeah, sure. I mean, I'm always a little bit nervous whenever I'm speaking in front of people. I'm a lot less nervous now than I used to be when I first started doing this kind of thing. I, and for me, it's actually a healthy thing. It's a healthy sign to have at least a little bit of nervousness because it means I'm at stake. Right. I have an investment. I want this to go well. I have an intention. I have a commitment. And so I'm at stake for that that intention and commitment. So, uh, yeah, it, there's always some nervousness. I, I'm I'm actually a little bit more concerned when I have zero nervousness, mm. right? which is seldom. It's hardly yeah. ever that I don't have some. Wow. Great. Let's start pulling apart the TEDx now, your, your talk. I want to talk to you and I'd like to know a couple of things. You have talked about castaways. Well, yes. let's just make it one thing. What was the point of that? I, I mean, you've covered it really well in the TEDx, but for our listeners, why did you pick the, that that particular episode, that particular um, scene, and what did you want us to grab away from the of Tom Hanks's role here? Well, when I was first constructing the talk, the first thing that came to mind to, to me was this idea that we will never actually experience being in the world fully alone. Like, but what if it were to happen that like we were in the world fully alone? And the only reference point I had that that I could capture from popular culture from a movie or a TV show was Castaway, the movie where Tom Hanks is on the island by himself for three years. It just fit really well with that central idea of trying to imagine being in the world by yourself. And yeah, that's 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 where it came from. I, I'm a big movie buff anyway. I love movies, and I use I use movies a lot in my work. Reference a lot of different scenes and stories that um, that somehow um, add some depth to it to a point that I'm trying to make. Okay, and those know me know that I'm not a big movie buff at all. In fact, I've never seen the movie Castaway. Uh, you talked about his feelings when he lost the ball. Okay. Yeah, Wilson. 
can you just, for me, coach me up a little bit, tell me what feelings he went through and how does that relate to me right now? Well, it, I don't want to give too much away about the movie itself because, you, you know, maybe you want to see it, but no. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Well, well, maybe somebody in your audience wants to see it who hasn't yeah. seen it. Okay. Yeah. Just, okay. That's I, fair. That's I, fair. I can, but I can say this, I, that, that what, it, what that scene represented was just how important people are or the personification of something. In this case, he personified the volleyball. Obviously, it wasn't actually a person, but he experienced the same kinds of experiences we have in real relationships. And so when he lost that relationship, he went through the same grief and uh, you know trauma that we we go through when we lose some someone close to us and that's what it represented and um yeah i mean we we all can relate to that i think we all have those moments we all lose people in our life inevitably we all can we know what that's like so when i think when people watch that scene they can we can all certainly relate to it because because of our own personal experiences of loss okay so now you the character the ball's name was wilson which just yeah. dawned on me this morning. Wilson, that's the brand name of the ball, but he called the ball's name was Wilson, I guess. So, so that's right. slow I'm about that. But <laughs> they kind of created a great partnership. And I kind of realized now, and I'd like for you to really kind of coach us up on this, define partnership. Okay, so Tom Hanks yeah. had a partnership with the ball, but define partnership in at least two levels, personally and professionally. Well, I, I, I wouldn't necessarily qualify this particular relationship between uh, the Tom Hanks character, Chuck and Wilson, the ball, I think okay. it was on one side of it because, you know, he was, he was relating to the ball. Obviously the ball's just the ball. The ball's just there. But in, right. to answer your question, the elements of partnership include qualities in which uh, one plus one doesn't equal two. It equals some, some other quantity and quality of synergy, connection, understanding, appreciation, recognition, right? There's a Zulu term, soyabono, soyabona, which is I see you. And it's that sense of I'm in this moment with you. I'm connected to you. I'm present to who you are in this moment. You're present to me and who I am in this moment. And that's a moment of, of partnership. Now there's the, that, that's sort of the experiential aspect of it. There's the, there's the more, um, what does it lead to? Right, the decisions that we can make together and the ways in which we can work with one another to produce outcomes and results that matter to both of us and maybe matter to others as well that's some of the the benefit or the or the outcome of partnership and so we sometimes will recognize partnership sort of after the fact based on the outcomes like mm. what people together produce with one another and they may not recognize in the moment that they're experiencing actual partnership but it's but it's present and, um, you know, we see it, you know, based on what gets created, but it, it, we sort of know it when we feel it. And we also, we also know, we also kind of know it when it's not present, when we feel disconnected or we feel estranged from someone else, or we don't quite gel with them, you know, that we're, we're somehow on a different page than, than the page that they're on. And that's not a problem. I'm not saying that that is inherently a bad thing. I'm just drawing the distinction between partnership and lack thereof. I'm also presupposing that what we all really want, at least in our most important relationships, are the, the qualities of genuine partnership. We use that word, right? We refer to key people, like spouses are often referred to as partners. Even our key business relationships, we refer to those people as our partners. So we use that word, but I also recognize that we don't always um, create the elements of what I would define as genuine partnership or we sometimes just take it for granted. So that okay. so the work that we're trying to do is to is to increase the the actual experience of the qualities of partnership. So you said uh, at least one of the qualities of a, a partner is the um, synthesis of being together, the outcome, the results. One and one doesn't equal two; it equals something else. Um, that hit me as a major quality of a good partnership. Is there any other part that, uh, not a good partnership, but a major definition? There's a synergy with us and we're creating something better. Is there any other qualities I should be aware of or any other way to define partnership that we should look at? Yeah, another key one would, would be uh, honesty, mm. right? I, I, I think that most people aren't actually honest with one another to the depths 
that they could be. We tend to play games with one another. We tend to play the role or to put on our good face, right? Especially in certain situations, we want to look good in the face of others. We want to be right about our point of view. We want to somehow have a sense of control or, or uh, agency. And the best relationships is where a lot of that just sort of goes away, where, where we each allow ourselves to be known by the other, whoever that other might be, or others, as the case might be, and not look good, right? To, to not know, right? To, to um, just let our, our true colors be shown, good, bad, and otherwise, and, and allow ourselves to create whatever it is that we want to create collectively together. So okay. I, I think, yeah, genuine honesty, it's, it's, um, it's one of those qualities that's a, a significant part of what I, how I would define partnership. I want to ask you because that would need I would need some coaching on that and I'm wondering in your coaching business and um, do you work with that because here's my thought that's human nature to protect yourself so therefore I'm not willing to fully open myself up to a partner yeah because I feel the need to protect when you're coaching businesses and individuals do you have a and I'm not asking you to give me your game plan right now but do you have a game plan to um, help businesses allow their employees to be a little bit more open and leaders to be a little bit more open and be more vulnerable? Oh, yeah. We, I, we do a lot of work with individuals to recognize the value in opening themselves up, to letting themselves be known and to asking better questions, to learn more about the people that they're working with so that they're, they're removing assumptions and expectations and they're actually cre developing curiosity. And it's through the development of that curiosity, as well as I don't need to be right. I don't need to know in advance. I want to learn. I want to discover. I want to uncover what's true about another person that just leads to better conversations. It leads to more genuine, real conversations, and, mm. and that builds better relationships. And it's true in any context. It, it could be you know, professional, personal, and social. It doesn't really matter. Um, the, the other thing, though, that's, I think, important here is that when it comes to honesty, I learned this from one of my mentors, Dr. Brad Blanton. He's the author of Radical Honesty, and I've done his work, did his work 20 years ago. And one of the things that he taught me was that honesty isn't simply telling the truth, you know, saying what you're thinking. It's also distinguishing in your thinking what's true and what's not true. And a lot of times what people get caught up in doing is they, they get convinced or convince themselves that their stories about someone else is actually true, when actually... It's just a story. It's just an interpretation. It's just way, one way to see someone or see a situation. What's really true, what's only true, is what I'm experiencing in this moment and physically what I can sense in my own body. That's what's true, as well as what I'm thinking. But the thoughts themselves are not truths. They're just thoughts. So it's that distinction, practicing that distinction that supports people in recognizing that they can be honest and it can work, right? You don't, they don't have to pay a lot of prices necessarily to be honest with one another when they remove the need to be right about what they think. Okay, so you got, this is where you got to coach me a little bit. As a leader, I have the vision for uh, the company, the vision where I want to go, the vision how each position works. I could be wrong, I could be right. I do know though when you show vulnerability, it weakens the vision for several people, including yourself. You're saying, though, I that's because I of my thought. Yeah, I don't you know, know if I would accept that premise. Okay, go for it. <laughs> I think I think vulnerability is a strength, not a weakness. I think it it really depends on what your intention is in that moment and why you're communicating what you're communicating. I mean, if you're communicating with some uh, sort of manipulative intent, that's going to come out. But if you're genuine, if you're authentic about, you know, why you're communicating what you're communicating or what you're thinking or what it is you want when it's when it's real, when it's authentic, people will get that. People will sense that. And even if they don't agree, which will be the case some of the time, people won't always agree. At least they'll know where you stand and they'll you'll be able to work it out from there. You might have to go through some difficulty. Again, you might have to go through some conflict, but there is much more of a of a space to go through conflict well when your cards are on the table, when you've, yeah. when you've been authentic. See, I track with you personally, 
but this is not about me personally, it's about our leaders who are listening. Most of them yeah. are a little bit hesitant to apologize. Most of them look at, um, well, look at the, just look at everything. Uh, how often do you hear a leader apologize? We're hearing it more and more, but that's what you're doing when you go in and coach uh, companies, get people used to being vulnerable. Yeah, so here's how I define leadership broadly. This might okay. help. Leadership is a constant invitation to be uncomfortable on purpose. A leadership is a invitation. constant invitation to be uncomfortable on purpose. And one way that manifests is when I make a mistake, I mess up somehow, and I am willing to acknowledge it, apologizing, owning it. That's That can be uncomfortable. If I'm unwilling to, to go there, I have no business calling myself a leader. Anyone who's unwilling to be uncomfortable on purpose has no business calling themselves a leader. Okay. I'm actually just channeling somebody right now. If in order for me to get to where I had to get, I had to be strong. And that meant not just no mind. That meant that I don't apologize. I just march forward. If a mistake is made, we just keep on going. Um, and there's a lot of leaders, and we can give a lot of examples all over the country, all over the world, of leaders who decided, okay, this is the way it is. If I make a mistake, I make the mistake, but I'm not going to apologize to the people who, I'm not going to apologize for it. You're saying that they should. Well, I'm saying that they, that apology, when it's appropriate, actually is a sign of power. It's a sign of strength. It's, a, it's sometimes a sign of responsibility. Sometimes I apologize not because I did anything wrong, but simply I'm in ownership of what is has been created. I'm owning what's been created. And rather than deflecting it off on someone else and making it seem like it's somebody else's, you know, somebody else caused it, I'm here. Okay. I'm present. I'm a part of this. So apology is a, it's a sign of respect. It's a sign of ownership, a sign of responsibility, a sign of strength, right? It's the opposite of of um what you just said a moment ago that you know it, it, i won't apologize because it's a sign of weakness i think that that's backwards and i think those who who actually have genuine leadership who, who are seen as actual leaders in any context personal professional um they're seen by those who who view them as leaders because they're willing to be you know to to own their mistakes own up to their mistakes and and not let it uh, get them off track. So you still have vision for something. You still have a commitment to something. You still want to achieve something and, um, recognizing when you fail, recognizing when you mess up actually caught, can have you be, can have you get closer to achieving the ultimate goal. You you learn what not to do. You learn, you know, you know, where you've, uh, what you didn't see previously, what you didn't recognize previously. And that's, those are valuable lessons. So, so to, to deny those lessons only, um, causes the actual ultimate goal to take longer to achieve. Okay. So this is why your TEDx is pretty important for people to listen to, to start understanding this area. Um, to be honest, you have great job security. I mean, when you finish doing business, uh, you know, private businesses, corporate business, go to the politics. Let's go there and see if you can help in that area. Good luck with that. But because um, <laughs> if you look at why I just stepped on it, I'll step out of it real fast. But you look at what people are always having politicians do is never apologize. Yeah, that's a huge mistake. If I were advising a politician, I would say whoever taught you that, if you ever got taught that, um, don't listen. Fire that advisor. If you, if you want to actually lead rather than just have the title of leadership, because they're not the same thing. You can have the title of leadership, but not actually be a leader in the eyes of those you know, where it really matters, but also in your own eyes. And so um, if you were, if you actually want to lead, then what is required is your willingness to confront your own humanity, your own imperfection, your own fallibility. We all fail. Failure mm -hmm. is part of the process. Failure is embedded in any, um, any any significant achievement, any any advancement in society or in, in culture or in business, it, is requires failure. And if you're not willing to acknowledge that and own that and and, and experience it and be with that uh, fully, then then you're not really demonstrating what's possible in actual leadership. I agree. Okay.
I agree. I understand. Thank you for that bit of coaching. Got you there. But now here comes the conflict of our conversation, the conflict of the TED Talk. You said conflict has power. Yeah. What is well, powerful I, about conflict? I actually, the way I, the way I phrase this is that it's conflict is valuable. Interpersonal conflict is valuable. And so, and I would say, you know, that's another way to say it's powerful. But there's a couple of reasons why, why it's valuable. Number one is that when you're in conflict, you learn what really is important to you. You learn what you're willing to stand up for and what you're not willing to stand up for. You know, there's the idea that you only fight with people who you care about. If you didn't care about them, why would you bother? You wouldn't go through the stress and the discomfort and, the, and you know, the uncertainty of conflict if you didn't care about the person you're fighting with. So conflict, it, it, it illuminates not only what we care about, but who we care about. And what we're willing to stand for, what we're willing to stand up for. Sometimes, you know, a person won't stand up for themselves until they're in the face of some type of conflict. Then they realize, yes, I do matter. I do care about myself and I'm going to stand up for myself here in this moment. And that they, but they only get there when they're confronted, when they're faced with a difficulty. Okay. So, go ahead. Yeah. No, I'm with you. Go ahead. Yeah. And, at the very least, as I said in my talk, conflict allows for a certain type of growth, personal growth, that isn't present in the absence of conflict. So we're able to access qualities within ourselves, ways of being and attitudes and even ways of thinking that, that would be absent, that, that aren't present when we're not in the face of some type of conflict. So it can be forwarding right it's illuminating but it's also potentially forwarding now it's not automatic that it's that way sometimes conflict is debilitating sometimes people you know sh their worst self shows up in the face of conflict not their best self so it, i'm not saying that there isn't a risk here there is absolutely a risk in the face of conflict what i'm talking about is learning how to be in conflict in productive ways rather than debilitating and destructive ways and so that's the key here is, first of all, the attitude of the possibility of the value of conflict and then the, the actual approaches where. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So when you said conflict, you won't be in conflict or you don't have disagreement with people that you don't care about. You got to care about them some way or otherwise you just kind of say, why bother with the conflict with them? Move on. Am I hearing that correctly? Well, yeah, it, it, just think about it logically. Why would you invest time, energy, stress, discomfort um, in a, having a fight with somebody if you don't care about that person, if you don't want to stay in relationship with that person? If, that, if the relationship doesn't mean anything to you, you won't really invest much time or energy at all to engage in a conflict. It might be very, it, if you do, it's going to be very short-lived. You, you, know, you might yell at someone and then move on. But you're not going to really engage in a conflict situation unless you care about the person. Well, okay. So, and I would totally 100% agree with that if that in a personal situation. But in a business situation, that's where I have don't quite understand it. So, again, I'm asking for your coaching. Why, why is it any different in a business situation? Because I care about the mission of the company. And I want that mission. I want the productivity. I want the profitability of my company to grow. That's what I care <clears throat> yeah. about. So therefore, I'm willing to enter a conflict to get that employee to get on step. Yeah. <clears throat> well, the mission of any company or organization automatically includes others. There's no individual mission in, in an organization. A mission statement is about the Great. organization's Great. mission. Mm -hmm. So the relationship is a part of that. It's, it's automatically embedded into any mission. And so if you choose to stay with a company, then you are creating relationship with everybody else who's choosing to stay with a company. And uh, you, you've got to be willing to go through difficulties, uncertainties, disagreements, misunderstandings. And if you're unwilling to go through that, you won't stay. You'll find some other company to work for. You'll eventually leave if you don't, if it doesn't line up for you. If the, either the mission or the people involved in the mission don't, don't connect point. with you, you'll eventually just uh, find another place to be. Great point. And if I'm the leader of that company, I don't really care about that person. I just care about my mission. I'll have, I'll help that person leave. Yeah. Or you'll force them out, right? If you have the opportunity, the leverage to do so. Right. Yeah. Good point. Good point.
knew there's clarification there for me someplace in that. <laughs> um, I want to just switch up a little bit here. How did this TEDx talk? Well, I want to ask, how did this TEDx talk change your life after you gave it? But I want to slip back to your brother, if, I, if we can. Sure. When your brother was taken away from you, that shaped you. And I had the feeling that that's also what shaped the TEDx talk. How else did that your brother's leaving shape you? Well, it, it had me pay attention more um, in my own personal relationships, but my professional ones too. So I'm less inclined to take relationships for granted. That doesn't mean I never do. I'm human still, and I sometimes forget and sometimes um, just you know, get overly focused on what's important to me and not necessarily pay attention to what's important to someone else. But I think I'm probably at least a little better at paying attention and mindful of um, who I'm being in my relationships and what is it I want to create in my relationships than I was prior to experiences like the loss of my brother. It wasn't just that, you know, experience, many others as well. Some not as severe, not as drastic as that one. But um, yeah, I think there are for all of us lessons along the way that we have an opportunity to recognize and then, and then um, remember and use as we move forward. So that's, that's what it was for me. Okay. Okay. So now the question that I pre-planned, if, if I will, for some reason, how did this TEDx talk change your life or business from the time you delivered it to now, how did it change your life or business? I don't really know that it, changed my life much at all. Uh, it was confirming in some ways and reinforcing of some of the ideas. I mean, the feedback that I got from a lot of people is that they appreciated the central message of it, especially with regard to this idea that there is value in conflict that we don't often recognize. So I've gotten feedback that people, they both um, appreciate that, appreciate that idea, but they also uh, sometimes struggle with that idea. And so it's just getting that feedback and having conversations about it with people in my life. That's that's been an outcome. In terms of business, I think it, you know I've gotten some um, inquiries from organizations about the work that I do in training and speaking and coaching because of the message that I had in the talk. And so, and I'm still getting that. That's still happening. It's been a year and a half, and um, there have you know it's not. I haven't really used the talk to, to market myself the way that some people do when they do a TEDx or. A TED Talk, they use it as a, as a marketing tool, and I haven't done it. Uh, I haven't used it that way, <clears throat> but I know that I could if I wanted to, and I, I could expand uh, the reach to organizations who have an interest in leadership development and conflict resolution in particular, mm -hmm. um, because you know that's that's the, that's an area where organizations know that they could probably do some work. Right, is is uh, supporting their people to be better in the face of conflict. So I have gotten some inquiries about that. And I imagine I probably will moving forward as well. Okay. You know, there's one other um, question I want to ask, two, two of them actually. So I'll just go ahead and ask this one. Um, you talked briefly about full spectrum of feelings. Can you expand on that a little bit? Well, you know, as human beings, we have a wide range of actual experiences and some of those experiences are experiences we want and like and enjoy and want to have more of and some of those experiences are ones that we resist or we don't like and we want to have less of and it's been my own experience in my own work um, over the years on the receiving end of of you know being trained and being coached and um, being a student that what seems to work best is to allow for the full spectrum of whatever experiences come up when they come up rather than resist or make sense of or explain or manipulate the experiences that I'm having. It's just to actually experience whatever it is that is showing up in the moment. And again, sometimes I may not like what I'm feeling or what I'm sensing. And sometimes I do. So rather than evaluate, it helps to practice describing. That's a key mm -hmm. distinction that I learned from from um, from Dr. Blanton, Brad Blanton, on, in Radical Honesty: describing versus evaluation, description versus evaluation. So, 
it, so, so to really fully experience whatever shows up in my experience, if I can describe it, uh, I'll be better at actually experiencing it rather than try to make sense of it, try to identify where it came from or what does it mean or who caused this or, you know, what are the implications of this? These are, those, those are all things that my mind might want to do, but they're not necessarily helpful. What's helpful is to first fully experience whatever it is that is showing up. Great, great. I would like to know, what are you doing right now to make a difference and to help people? What are you doing right now? What's your company up to? Well, right now I'm talking to you. So Okay, I'll take that back. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take that question back. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. Caught me on that. Well, okay, yeah. <clears throat> The organization that I work with, uh, with some partners, key um, colleagues, partners, friends, we work with uh, organizations, companies, as well as community-based organizations to support the people that that uh, they attract within the organization. There, whether it's employees or just sometimes these are community-based leadership organizations in which they attract people who are professionals in a variety of fields to develop their leadership, and we work with them to design programs that are custom created for the type of organization that it is that's going to meet the goals and objectives that they have and we we design these programs and then deliver them and usually the creation of the program includes a blend of training along with coaching sometimes it's group coaching sometimes it's individual coaching so that's that's one thing we do for for organizations or or companies that are out there the other thing that um that i do is i train people how to develop coaching skills. I designed a coaching certification program back uh, about 2016, 2015 originally. And that, is that program the, is... Uh, I'm sorry for the interruption, but is that the 4D, the 4D certification? Is that what that one is? That's right, 4dcertification.com. And that's where anybody who has an interest in developing their coaching skills can take this, this program, they're, you know, other programs out there in the world, there's plenty of programs out there, but what's unique about our particular program is we use, we, 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 we develop what's called transformative coaching and transformative coaching is synonymous with in the world of mediation, the transformative approach to mediation. So it's not just about solving a problem or achieving a goal that's more short term. It's also about the relationships that are a part of the process for any goal that a client has. Who are, who are the people involved in that? So transformative coaching includes work on relationship building, not just goal achievement. And it's a, so it's a bit deeper and right, it's, it's broader. Uh, it's more inclusive. And that's what our program teaches people how to do as coaches is to factor into the relationships into the equation and ask questions and listen in ways that you really get at the heart of the matter for any coachee or client, what they really want to achieve mm -hmm. and who else is involved in that. Okay, that makes sense then. So how do we get a hold of you for that 4D certification program? Well, the, on the on our website, 4dcertification.com, there's a way in which anybody who is interested can inquire to learn more. And um, that's the best way to do it is just to inquire from the website. Who's the ideal client for that? Well, anybody who recognizes that they have a leadership role, either in their community or in their business and their organization, and they realize that that with that leadership role inevitably comes opportunities to coach people or those coaching moments, those coaching conversations. So it's those individuals, those who recognize their that opportunity to, to be with people in that way, because because coaching really isn't often what people think it is. It's not advising, it's not mentoring, right? It's not delegating. Those are all functions of having a leadership role. Uh, it's not counseling, it's not therapy, right? Those are also functions that are important and valuable, but coaching is its own distinct, has its own distinct set, sets of skills. And so that's another thing you learn when you're in a program like this, is how to distinguish mm -hmm. all of the other functions of leadership from this particular function, coaching, because it's it's it is unique, and so anyone who uh, who recognizes that and, and sees that they could be better and with that function, coaching people, you know, whether you have a leadership role or not, but you, but especially when you do, um, those are the ones who get the most value out of this this type of program. Okay, you make me think. Then, so what's unique? Give me just. I mean, I think there's many, but what's one unique thing that I would get from 
the coaching certification versus taking just a leadership class on class of being a better leader. What's one of the kind of the biggest difference, unique proposition, so to speak? Well, the, the main thing that you would learn how to do much, much better than people tend to do automatically is, is listening skills, developing listening skills, deep level listening, as well as being much more creative and um, effective in creating and designing questions. So those okay. are the two central functions of coaching, listening and asking. It's not just that. It's also offering feedback, right, where, where that mm -hmm. is helpful and relevant. But but basically, fundamentally, it's to developing those skills, listening and asking, listening and asking. And it's, not as, it's much more sophisticated than people realize. I mean, there are many, many ways to ask a question. And there's, al there's also the right question for the moment versus a bunch of other questions that don't work as well. So it's it's... It's learning that craft, essentially, okay. and that's what we teach in this program. Great. What else are you doing? I'm a father. I'm a okay. husband. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, old, I'm living life, you know, with family. How old are your my kids? Daughter, my daughter's 11. Um, she's just started seventh grade, and she's a dancer and artist. Um, she loves theater. So she's she goes to an art school, and... Mm -hmm. um, I'm doing as, as much as I can to fan that flame and encourage her to be as, as artistic and creative as she can is inspired be. to be. Yeah. 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 I understand that pride. Um, and I also give you a fair warning. Two more years. Two more years. <laughs> <laughs> at what 13, happens in two years? At they, 13. <laughs> at 13, they go teenager. <laughs> teenagers. Uh, tell me about, uh, I think it's Co-Celerate? Yes. Yeah, Cocelerate is a venture that uh, a few colleagues and, and partners of mine created in response to, in, initially to the pandemic. When the pandemic hit last year, a lot of the work that I was doing that was in person just got immediately canceled, as you can imagine. Yeah. And same is true for some colleagues of mine who do, do very similar work. So we're like, okay, well, we got to we want to create something that allows for the the type of work we do, but in the virtual space. And so that's how it got born. And our our um, our main focus is with organizations who, again, recognize that there's an opportunity to develop leadership, whether it's with managers or frontline workers or a combination of the two, and to develop a deep understanding of what leadership really is and then the skills of leadership along the way that are particularly relevant to that organization based on that, the organization's industry and you know what their, what their primary mission is. So mm. that's... Um, that you know, it started off as a response to the transition into the virtual world. What we're anticipating is going to start to happen is there's going to be more of a hybrid approach to training and development. There'll yes. be some in person, some virtual, but we're both you know we're we're equipped to do both uh, well because my colleagues and and myself have been doing this for quite a while. So um, uh, yeah, so we're 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 certainly comfortable being in person as well as being in the virtual space, and and um, we do both. Okay, and they can reach out for you on your contact information is on that website that's on the screen. And yes. Show notes. Okay. Yeah, cocelerate.com. They can inquire if they, uh, anyone is interested. And then uh, this FJ, um, what is it? F Caputo. Yeah, FJ Caputo. I was thinking of FJP, but it's FJ Caputo. Is that your speaking <laughs> site? Is that uh, where people can get a hold of you to say, come, come share your your keynote yeah, or anything like that. that's if yeah that's if somebody just has an interest in a keynote speaker or they just want to learn more about my work i have some writings up there that i put on my site it's a place just to capture some of my work that is both either personal or professional or a blend of the two um so i put a couple of other video links of work that i've done for clients just clips right where you get yeah, just a yeah. sense of of the kind of work i do so that's another place to go i, I created fj caputo a few years ago prior to um, Cocelerate. Uh, the the four D certification is exclusively for the coaching certification program. Yes. But a lot of what I do is you know outside of that realm. So just speaking engagements or training or coaching in, individually. That's uh, you can find me at FJ Caputo for that. Okay, great, fantastic. My last question: What <laughs> questions should I have? I have asked you. What questions should I have asked you that I did not ask you? What's my next TED talk going to be about? <laughs> Took up, that one knocked my microphone off. So, okay. so, what is, yeah. your, next, what well, is this, your next this, TED talk going to be about? 
this actually is related to what you asked me earlier about my the immediate effect of when I did the first one. So right away I started thinking, what you know, what else do I want to to say? And so <clears throat> for me, it has to do with this idea that in education, I mean, I I think of myself basically as an educator. I was a high school teacher 25 years ago um, and basketball coach. And so I, I just love education and what's available for education. A lot of what I do outside of my work as in profession and in my professional life is, is involving, um, I work with a nonprofit called Education Rocks. And what we do in Education Rocks is we locate communities in the third world where kids aren't going to school because they can't afford to go to school because in the, in the developing world, school isn't free. So the, the reality is 20% of the world's children don't go to school because they, their families can't afford to send them. So mm. that's why EdRox was created was to help alleviate that. And so um, my point is that, you know, education is one of my core values. It's, it's a major driving force for me. So my next talk is going to be about this idea that we have not really kept up with the times and the way we've we've um, allowed education to evolve, right? So there's you probably have heard of STEM education, yes. yeah, just so STEM, that, yeah, mm -hmm. yep, and then so STEM eventually evolved evolved into now what's in some in some or some school districts uh, STEAM. So they've they've added the A and the acronym to include arts, right? Right. I don't know if you've heard of that or not, place. but that's no. Yeah, that yeah. should have been there in the first place. That's why I'm rolling my head. Exactly. My head. That should have been there at the very beginning. I agree that the arts are an incredibly valuable way to learn. So, so, so now, but now STEAM is sort of the newer um, acronym that's used to try to reference the 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 best approach to education. Well, my idea is to change STEAM into stream, and the R. And stream is relationships. We don't teach our children how to relate well. We assume they're going to learn that at home. But my question is, who taught yeah. their parents? Yeah. And who taught them? And who, It's like listening. We don't take classes called listening skills. We assume somebody taught you at home, but who taught them? So we, I don't think we should take it for granted. I think we need to embed in our educational system relationship building skills the skills of mindfulness, the skills of conflict resolution, the skills of um, communication, really like listening, uh, all of the things that we generally take for granted, we shouldn't take for granted in our educational system. That's, that's what the talk is going to be about. Perfect. Perfect. I thank you very much for spending the time uh, with us, sharing your, um, your knowledge and your depth of uh, awareness. I think if anybody had any hesitations now that you kind of really had a chance to say, okay, well, if you're thinking that, think differently. And here's why. I think that's very powerful and very useful. So I thank you very much for that. Um, you're more than welcome back the day after they release your next TED Talk or if you release a book or anything like that. I would love to really dig in and get more information from you. Well, thank you, Glenn. It's been a pleasure being here and I would welcome any opportunity in, in the future to continue this conversation. So thank you. Fantastic. Thank you for connecting with us here at Touchstone Publishers. Please join our group Essential Leadership Skills and share your leadership knowledge with us all.